Big thanks to Arno at ALM, almk9equipment.com. That's the letter K, the number nine. Hit Arno up at A-R-N-O at almsuit.com. First-time visitors to a site, use discount code WDRADIO to receive 10% off your new tug or suit. I want to give a huge thanks to Ryan and the guys over at Tripwire Ops. Go check out their class schedule and every amazing thing it is they have to offer on the World Wide Web at tripwireops.org. That's tripwireops.org. Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. Well, here we are with episode one of Working Dog Radio. Uh, I am Ted Summers. My co-host Eric Stambro is here as well. Um, this has been a project a long time in the making. Uh, Eric and I and Alicia and a couple of other people have been talking about doing this for quite a while. What we hope to be bringing everyone is news and information and interviews from around the working dog world, be it SAR, search and rescue, with police canine, military, um, special operations, and everything in between, focusing on detection, tracking, apprehension, and everything related to working dogs we may cover uh current events things that we may see on social media um, i know there's been a lot of that out there um with that i'm one of the co-hosts my name is ted summers i am the co-owner of working dog dry goods and torchlight canine based in tulsa oklahoma working dog dry goods is co-owned with me and alicia Brant, the muzzle maven, she is the one responsible for all of the artwork that you see on a lot of the muzzles that go around uh, on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook. Uh, Alicia does a lot of work with nonprofits. We have a new one starting here soon. Um, I am the co-owner and co-trainer at Torchlight Canine based in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, we focus on military and police uh, canines. My partner, Scott Tarpley, is a former 7th Special Forces Green Beret, uh, former St. Louis County SWAT guy and uh, Tom Rose graduate and Scott uh He's a mentor and a great friend, and I've learned a lot. Hopefully, I'll be able to give some of that out here. Um, and with that, Eric, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Eric Stambro. I'm a full-time police officer. My entire uh, full-time assignment at the police department is canine training. I am the uh, owner and head trainer at Van S Canine Academy and the training director for Police Canine Association, which is a uh, 501c3 nonprofit uh, local group here in Ohio that we use to raise money to help support all of our canine um, teams and, and retired dogs and current dogs. I uh, served a short period of time as a trainer for the Navy SEALs on the West Coast. I uh, worked that contract for a little bit. I was on SWAT for 14 and a half years, worked a dog on the SWAT team, as well as was a sniper team leader, assistant team leader. Excellent, excellent. So uh, PK9A, Police Canine Association, is one of our uh, title sponsors. Um, so kind of with that, why don't you fill us in on what kind of like how um, – 
a little bit about what PK9A does, how they, uh, before we get to Chris and Ryan, uh, about what PK9A does, uh, what they serve, uh, what the mission is, and uh, we'll go from there and bring on Ryan and Chris. Yeah, uh, the uh, police department that I work for, our canine program, started in 1985. And immediately we started training with not just us, but other agencies. And the guys back then uh, pretty much figured out quickly that they wanted to start their own uh, group to raise money to help offset some of the costs. As a lot of people know, uh, sometimes the costs for canine unit can be prohibitive for some departments with the vehicles and the cost of the dog and the vet bills and the food and the gear and equipment that goes with it. Um, the difference now, it's a lot more expensive than it was in 1985, and we use a lot more equipment than they used to use. So those guys back then formed the Police Canine Association and started raising money, having fundraisers, having you know reverse raffles and everything. And what they would use that money for really was to help offset some of the costs, not everything, but some of the costs of uh, what a, a unit would pay for to be a canine unit. In uh, the early 2000s, then we became a 501c3 uh, official, and we have a board. We have a uh, president, vice president, treasurer, and secretary, and we continue to raise money all year long by uh, fundraisers and having, um, you know, we sell swag. We have a website up and running now. We sell hoodies and T-shirts and hats and all that stuff to help uh, supplement some of these things. And the thing is now where we used to have, uh, you know, like four or five different agencies in our group, we have like 20-some agencies in there now. So we have like 40 dog teams that we help support, including retired dogs. That was one of the big missions um, that our current president and the board really started was trying to help guys uh, offset some of the costs of when they take over all of the bills related to a retired canine. So we spend a lot of money helping that, buying gear for guys. It's easier for us to buy it and give it to guys than them having to go through the, the process of asking for it from the department. So we, we buy a lot of this stuff. Excellent. Yeah, you know, and that's something that, you know, we run into a lot because um, everybody focuses on the dog with this canine unit because, you know, I mean, it's a canine unit, it's a dog, but there is, you know, a ton of administration on the back end where, you know, there's the cost of a car, there's uh, the required amount of training every year, there's certifications, there is equipment, there is specialized um, inserts and everything else for the car. So everybody looks at the price of a dog, if it's eight, ten, twelve, fourteen, sixteen, eighteen thousand $18,000, whatever it is, you know, the total cost of running a unit is way higher than just four legs and food. And, you know, I mean, from the very beginning when uh, when we met you guys, that was something that was very appealing about it because, you know, there uh, it's a holistic approach and to ju- rather than just say, oh, you know, we're going to donate a vest or we're going to donate an insert or we're going to do this or we're going to do that. It's a holistic approach to donating everything, including training, which is fantastic. And I think you're probably one of the only ones in the country that does that. If one, if not, it's very, very, very limited. Yeah, one of the things we started doing, you know, before we could raise a little bit of money, and it was enough to cover us, that uh, the guys, you know, that were immediately training with us. But now things have changed. We've changed the way we fundraise. And with, you know, everything online and social media, we have a pretty good footprint on social media. And so we've been able to raise a lot more money. Uh, a couple of so, falls ago, we had 
had a uh, Franz Coaster, a decoy from Holland come in. We paid for him to come in and, you know, catered it for all the guys and everything. And we didn't charge for that. Uh, our, our plan is to try and host some more seminars or give seminar scholarships to guys to maybe go to hits or something like that. And not just us, but other people. And of course, just recently, we can get into this later, but just recently we started doing our own national certification for folks. Yeah, that's kind of a topic that we're going to cover here in a little bit, but that is definitely a, a, it will be a common theme throughout a lot of these episodes that deal specifically with police stuff. And when we do the ones like where uh, we bring on some of the guys like Ted Dawes or Terry Fleck and some of the other guys that are ter- that are the the legal guys and we'll talk a lot about certifications but that is something that you and i have conversations about privately uh, via text message or whatever else about certifications and good bad ugly here or there and uh you know, so and you know, it's interesting. Every time I'm up there, because for whatever reason, I always end up going through Canton from Tulsa. Um, you've always got something going on. I mean, I think last time Alicia and I were there, you guys had what four dogs from like Tennessee and Ohio and somewhere else that you were training, and um, you know, you're the full time trainer with Van S and at Canton, and. Um, you know, it, it's you guys are always and you guys and for the people that haven't been up there. Um, I need to describe it to you. So it's kind of like behind the public works department behind like the water and they have the coolest training field and they have what I guess amounts to a clubhouse. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that, would that be a, an accurate description of that thing? And it we is. In the past, yeah. yeah. And they have a. Uh, like the a, a, a spot for all the retired dogs um, le, uh, plaques in the back, and it's a nice um, little garden area. That do you guys get that paved or uh, get grass in that area? Do you get away, or what are they? When are you guys doing that? Spring, I would assume. Uh, um, this is cold as shit question. up there now. Have, <laughs> right? Yeah, we have a uh, we have tombstone for every dog who's ever trained here um, when they pass. If they want, we get a tombstone. Sometimes we get them even if they don't want. And we leave it out here. We have the handlers and their family come out and place them in our in our uh, cemetery. We've we've had some offers from some companies to come out and redo it from us for us because, frankly, it was done by a bunch of cops, and um, we're not you know architects and landscape architects. But it looks pretty good. And um, Chris will talk about the Jethro statue that we have here, and and that's going to be the centerpiece of everything we do going forward. But yeah, we take it real seriously here. You know, when you train with us, you're part of the family, and we definitely will honor you and your dog, or your dog anyways, out here at our cemetery. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's actually, it's a really cool, I mean, it's a really cool setup. I mean, I, Alicia and I have been through there several times. Um, I want to come back up at some point and do some actual work with you guys and not just do the turn and burn deal. But, um, yeah. So uh, so what have you guys been up to at Van S or at Police K-9 recently? Uh, it sounds like it's this is a Wednesday afternoon, but it sounds like you guys had an interesting day so far. <laughs> yeah. You know, we have our big training day is on Wednesdays. The um, the group, the Canine Association groups are split into two. So I have group A and B. So they are every other week. And uh, we try, you know, I try to come up with some pretty good scenarios and different things for the dogs. Um, I do a lot of basic stuff when dogs need it. And then we do a lot of high-end stuff because our dogs and the dogs we train, the agencies they work for, most of them are get a lot of work. You know, uh, where, where we work, we get a lot of bites and a lot of pursuits and a, a lot of tracking and building search. We're, we're fortunately really busy. So we try to reenact a lot of stuff and just make it as difficult for the dog as possible. 
and, and so that they'll work through any issues. So that's a lot of what we do on Wednesdays. Um, today I had, I think, 13 dogs here today, and we did we did a, uh, a scenario with a hidden sleeve where the decoy was dragging a suit on a cart behind him. Um, so it's moving. The suit is sitting up like it, it doesn't really look like a person, but you can see the suit in there. And the idea is for the dog to ignore the suit and go after the man. And um, one of our dogs, Vlad, who uh, I call 1% dog, who's just, his bite pressure is amazing. He bit through the hidden sleeve, and the decoy ended up in the hospital today. <laughs> Welcome to canine. Oh, God. <laughs> so uh, Ryan, Ryan took him to the hospital. <laughs> yeah, he went over and sat with him, and you know, they had stitches, and there was an x-ray involved, and, you know, all that stuff. The, the decoy, to his credit, that never, never said a word. <laughs> Strap me up, I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so I guess Chris was busy too. Uh, yeah, Chris had to work the shift. So on Wednesdays he works days. Every other Wednesday is his uh, training day. He's here. Uh, today would happen to be his shift day. Yeah. Um, so what is. Uh, police canine moving forward to for the rest of the year i mean this is early 2018 this is january um you guys what are you working on for the rest of the year and what is van s doing for the rest of the year in terms of other than the normal training days and certifications and then also um just general business but anything special you guys have coming up no we have a we have a class going on right now basic class we're doing we got a couple dogs in there uh three of them actually um, some dual-purpose narc and one dual-purpose explosive dog. And then we kind of um, settle down a little bit in in the spring because all of us here have in-service training, and I'm in the in the training division, so I have to help with that. And then we'll pick it back up in the summer. Um, we haven't discussed anything in the fall yet. We're kind of playing by year, but I would like to maybe host a, a two- or three-day seminar of some subject matter. We just haven't figured out what yet. Um, out here at our at our place, the uh, probably a tracking seminar uh, is we get a lot of we get a lot of tracks with apprehensions here in our department, and uh, we had one last night as a matter of fact, and so we like to you know impart the knowledge that we have because our guys got a lot of experience. That's where I'm lucky, you know. You come out here to train, and I'm busy running around doing a bunch of things. And if you have a question for me, I have an infinite amount of people here that I can say go talk to him because he just did that the other day. Um, we do plan on doing some more national certifications. I just went down in December to Tennessee and did three dogs down there. And we had already done an, another dog from Tennessee and one from Pennsylvania. So we're kind of tweaking that a little bit, but rolling that out. We're going to put that on our website and, you know, with the criteria. We're lucky here in Ohio because we have state certification. Um, the PK9A certification is pretty closely mirrors Ohio with a few changes. And uh, so we're going to, we're going to keep offering that as far as NS canine goes. Um, I got, I'll get some dogs coming in. I work those dogs in the evenings and uh, I'll just keep, you know, keep plugging away doing that. I will be, as you know, along with you in Vegas in February, coming up here the 5th, 6th and 7th yep. of February at the uh, tripwire uh, Bravo three conference. Yeah, we're teaching a class on scenario-based training and uh, maintenance for patrol canines, which, um, you know, is kind of our 
mo day to day you and i both do the same thing every day <laughs> so yeah you know, those guys ask us to reach out uh, breach bang bite is not really a canine specific show um it's going to cater to swat teams it's going to cater to um explosive teams or uh bomb tech or bomb guys and as well as some of the canines so you know eric and i are going to be talking about um how to integrate those dogs into certain teams and then how non-canine guys can help maintain uh, the patrol readiness of uh, street dogs uh, through proper decoy work, proper scenario, proper goal setting, proper things that we do on a daily basis. And like Eric was just saying, it's real important uh, because if Eric is you know running around with his head cut off all the time, he has people that are really, really busy that have did, may have done something you have a question about literally the night before is in this case so um so who's the president uh you guys have a board you just said that so chris heslop who we have sitting standing by is the president of pk9a correct yep chris has been uh a handler here in canton for uh 12 years and he is well 13 years now and uh he has been the president of the association for about six years or so maybe more than that longer than that Oh, all 13 years he's been in K-9, he's been the president of the association. So I guess to show you how nobody else wants that job. Yeah. But, uh, but before we get him talking, I'll tell you, he's actually, the work this guy does in the association has really changed uh, us and the way we do things. He is um, single-handedly responsible for our website and all the orders that are sent out and, and all the work and, all, and a vast amount of the money raised is through his work. So uh, I'll go ahead and turn it over to you and Chris. Excellent. How you doing? What's up? How are you? Good, good, good. Good, good. So why don't uh, you just kind of introduce yourself, give us some of the background. Um, Obviously, you've been 13 years at Canton PD handling a dog, but you did stuff before that. So take it from there. I was in the military, went to ranger school and all that stuff for airborne school, aerosol school. Um, did a couple deployments and uh, decided I wanted to be a canine handler and basically found a department being this one um, back in 98 that had at the time they had nine dogs on the shift um, for apartment this size was a lot of dogs and uh, so this is where I ended up coming and uh, got on 98 so I've been a police officer for about 20 years here and uh, and in 2005 Eric and I both tried out for the canine spots that were open. There was uh, two spots open, and we both uh, made it. And since then, I've been uh, training uh, patrol slash uh, explosive dogs. Both my dogs, I have one that's retired, um, just passed away this last July, and uh, Zeke. And then I have Zane, who's a patrol slash explosive dog. And we've been on the street for approximately three and a half years. So I was in SWAT team for almost uh, four, me going on five years. I was breacher amongst other things, but uh, that's it. And basically true callings of canine and thoroughly enjoy it. And I don't know how, what point I got voted as president. Yeah. Probably because nobody wanted the job or the responsibility, but you were asleep. Um, they sent out the email and it was like yeah. literally the straw, like who didn't pick yeah. it? <laughs> right. Yeah, I was I was outside the room and came back and was like, yeah, we just voted in your president, and that kind of went from there. So it was either nobody wanted it or uh, I'm the one that got it. So, Excellent. but that being said, I uh, just you know I always just think that I'm going to leave it better than what I found it, and that's just kind of been the driving force of me 
improving it, you know, day right. by day or year. Um, I started out selling stuff on eBay to raise money for the association. So I uh, just today found a uh, old hoodie that we came across on a suicide call. The guy uh, killed himself and we lost one of our supporters today because he had one of our old hoodies in his uh, dining room. So, um, <laughs> man, that was, yeah, that was, that was quite a, quite a sight. But, uh, yeah, like I said, we just, just keep on hammering on and, uh, try to find ways to help guys out, departments out and help the dogs out just to be as successful as possible, you know, training dogs and, you know, going to hit in the streets. Right. So, so, you know, kind of in that vein, like, I mean, you, you know, at the time you said when you guys started, you guys had what, nine dogs and you have how many now? Yeah, yeah. Right, right now, we're training. Our KMPD had nine dogs, and uh, now our training group and everything. Eric's gotten a lot bigger, and just from seeing the training we do, a lot of people are coming. And uh, gosh, we're at about forty teams now, and uh, with that, of course, it costs a lot more to keep the canine association going, and you know, trying to make everybody successful. Yeah, um, and then we take a lot more responsibilities as association too. Right, um, and what we. That's what we do now. I do know your administration at Canton is super supportive of um, of your of the canine unit in general. And it's so weird when we came up there to pick up uh, that dog Taz. Um, you know, Alicia and I stopped in a bar to, of course, drink and then uh, catch up on some emails and some other stuff. And we had the dog in the car. And the lady behind the counter was, you know, she said, you know, what are you doing in town here? And we're in downtown Canton, Ohio, right? So um, I said, you know, we're here to pick up a dog. Oh, where are you from? We're like, yeah, we're from Oklahoma. And she said, oh, great. So is it a police dog? And I kind of looked at her and thought, oh, why would she ask me that? So I said, yeah, you know, it's, um, yeah, he's a police dog. I'm a police dog trainer. And so then immediately she goes into this long story about how, you know, what it amounts to is you guys are fucking rock stars up there. Um, your department supports you very well and the public supports you very well. I mean, she knew about canine Jethro. She knew about your current dog. She was naming dogs off. And I mean, you're in an area, you know, I mean, I guess kind of how big is Canton? We have about 80,000, about so 80,000. During yes. the week, it's more. Um, this in the city, we have a lot with the government buildings and everything downtown because we're the, probably the center spot for all business and court stuff for Stark County. But um, yeah. they're pretty good size. Yeah, so, I mean, it's not a small city. It's definitely not huge. But, no. you know, for a city that size and, you know, everybody that was at the working at this bar, I can't even remember the name of it because uh, I was asking Alicia before we started. I said, do you remember the name? She said, no, I don't remember either. But, you know, she said, you know, I know. And she knew you and she knew Eric. And, you know, she knew several of the other canine handlers. She knew Ryan. And they knew the dogs' names. And, you know, it was kind of like it was it was almost a reverse of how um, – it is in a lot of the other places in the country where police departments are underfunded, police departments are, you know, law enforcement is not really looked upon in that way. But I mean, does so what I'm getting at is your department is very supportive of the canine unit, clearly. Yeah, yeah, they have been. It goes back to several chiefs that loved German Shepherds. And when he started the uh, canine unit back in 85 he put on 12 dogs and for a department that we don't have a department the size of cleveland but for the size of the department can with a 180 man department having 12 dogs on a police department was quite a big thing back then yeah 
And so how big of a role does PK9A, because, you know, I mean, Canton is well supported. The, the department as well supports them. But, you know, every time I'm through there, it seems like there's smaller departments from outlying areas that are there training. So how large of a role uh, does PK9A play in helping those departments that may have support but not the funding or vice versa with dealing with some of the administrators? If uh, one of those outside departments gets a hold of Eric and, you know, wants to inquire and getting the canine started for their program, um, the association does as much as possible to get it to be a successful team, um, whether it's buying leashes or buying e-collars or, you know, getting food for some of these dogs because some of these departments, they want the dogs, but they don't have the, the budget that allows it. And we're talking some lot smaller departments that might want to put on one dog or two dogs. But we really give them – headed in the right direction as far as, you know, vets and um, the equipment and stuff that, you know, try to work out something with their department as far as what they can pay and what we can pay and offset the cost some so they can get up and running. And then if they want to do some fundraising in their own hometown, they can do that too. We don't stop them. Um, we encourage it. And if they want to have some type of golf outing or, a, you know, some demo where they have a bake sale or whatever, um, we've literally probably done about every possible type of fundraising that you possibly can do. Um, there's not many other things that we haven't done. At one point or another, we probably tried it or attempted it and <laughs> found what be successful and what isn't. Yeah, and so. I mean, you guys do a great job. I mean, you have that big awards thing uh, every year. Um, are you guys doing that again this year? What is that, October? No, wait, when is yeah, that? Yeah, we're, we're doing it again this year. It's going to be June 9th. Um, it's going to change a little bit. The location is going to be kind of a similar area, but a different building. And we're going to try something different and see how it works out and, you know, get all our supporters. We have a big, you know, following, like I said, and Eric said that, you know, Facebook, Instagram, all these other social media sites, we have a big following. And But we just not just on Facebook. I mean, there's a lot of people that don't do social media, but they still support uh, the canine unit and the police canine association. And they just love the dogs and they like what we do. And I think that they see that we are busy. I think it just kind of maybe became apparent when, you know, canine Jethro was killed, but, uh, it really just shows that we're out there every day working and, you know, you're not going to see it maybe on a daily basis, but we are out there and they really appreciate the job we do. And they just love our dogs. So plus yeah. you got somebody like it runs the program that, you know, just has a stellar personality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So with that, I mean, because you guys work so much, my local handlers, you know, they're always uh, with the exception of one, um, are out with their dog in public and, you know, they're out, they're very visible. Um, you know, they're, you know, what, uh, does, how does PK9A kind of bridge the gap between that and the public? Is that a way that you guys reach out with, to interact with the public or is it easier just with, through the police department or how do you guys do that? We do it on our own. Um, a lot of the police department just directly fields questions or any demos or any requests of having a canine unit come do a seminar or a, or a, a dem demonstration, it just gets fielded directly to Eric, and then he just hands it out to the guys in the unit to take care of. A lot of times it's not even the city. A lot of times it's in cities that don't even have a canine. Um, but we'll go out there, you know, whether it be a, a Girl Scout troop, a Boy Scout troop, or something like that, you know, just to let them see what the dogs do and, you know, just usually everybody loves it. And they, you know, if I could drive a a minivan or some panel van around with all the swag and stuff we have. I could set up shop on the side of the road and sell stuff. But usually a lot of times we're just showing up with one or two dogs and doing a quick demonstration, just answering questions that the kids or, you know, public might have. Right. So kind of in that same deal, in that same vein. So 
you know, Eric mentioned that you guys get a lot of work and that you guys have a lot of apprehensions. You have a lot of tracks. And it seems like every time I talk to one of you two, something is always happening. Um, a lot of that, I think, is um, endemic because of what you guys specifically have going on up in that area of the country with the opioid stuff. How mm-hmm. much of what you're doing and how active you are is directly related to that kind of stuff? I would say it's very, very direct as far as, you know, you know, back when the the scrap metal prices were high, our dogs were busy because of apprehensions of people stealing scraps, stealing anything that wasn't tied down. Um, we were really busy as far as vacant houses getting broken into, stealing the, the wiring, the copper, you know, the metal, siding, right. anything that wasn't stolen. And I think we were really busy then because that was just, you know, times were tough. People were stealing scrap and turning it in, and it kept us busy as a unit. Along with, you know, that goes hand in hand with other crimes. Um, then the, the opioids and the heroin and, you know, the suboxone and all that stuff, it just, people, you know, feed the fire and they commit crimes to, you know, feed that need. And it seems like we're there and we're really, really busy when it comes time to stuff like that. So I think we're really, really about the, the department in ways. I mean, you look back on like the tracks and stuff last night that other handler had and, the apprehension that another one had, it was just glad we had a canine available to, you know, make the resolution, you know, the situation come to positive resolution. So it just really helped out. And that's why we stay busy and we try to have dogs on the street, you know, to help the guys out. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, every time I go through there, cause here, you know, I mean, everywhere they have a drunk driving problem and here, you know, we have signs on the side of the road that say, you know, report drunk driving call, whatever the number is for the highway patrol or anything. And it was the craziest deal. I was driving through Ohio and it said report drug and juice driving or something. And, you know, I asked Eric about it and he was like, Oh yeah, you wouldn't believe like how many calls we have for overdoses and how many calls per shift we get. And, you know, it's kind of, um, a big like national story in terms of the opioid problem. Uh, we haven't really seen a problem here in Oklahoma as bad as I think some of the East coast and upper Midwest States have. But, um, you know, it's interesting because you say you had the strap prices were, you know, when they were super high and now you've got the opioid issue and people are still continuing to do hood rat shit to fund their, to fund an issue. But, um, which I think is probably why you guys are so well supported by your administration anyway, because you do, I mean, you, you as well, you more than anybody understand that those dogs are almost invaluable in situations like that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, there's a lot of situations like, man, what if we didn't have a dog, you know, how it would turned out. Um, right. And it, we're just fortunate and it's, you know, we're getting used by other agencies when they don't have a dog, you know, we got dogs assigned to the U S marshals, violent fugitive task force so um it uh we're really helped out and we had bombs attached to the uh fbi task force too so it's really i think they see the the positive outcome and you know how well the dogs help out and it's yeah. kind of like no so like you and me but some of the administration you got a cell phone and then oh, when yeah. they see it i think they're kind of sold yeah yeah so everybody loves the no shit stories um what? So, I mean, you've been handling a patrol dog for 13 years. Um, yeah. So, most memorable story you've got? Apprehension or detection, whatever it may be. Mm, most memorable was probably a, a track I did. Um, there was a 
it was a car, it was a carjacking and uh um well I got a couple but one was I got sprayed by a skunk. You never forget that. <laughs> That's memorable. <laughs> yeah, that was memorable. Yeah, that one that was pretty memorable. That was there was a beating in progress it was a guy woke up and the guy was over top of him in his bed. So it was a good one. It wasn't one that was a BS. It was a good beanie over in um, Northwest End. And I was kind of close and I got there and the guy said, yeah, you just ran that way. And I got my former partner Zeke out and I just started off the street, got him hooked up on the track and lead and off we go and across the sidewalk. And there was a detached garage in the house. And all of a sudden I see this black thing move and I'm like, was that a, was that a, cat and then it turned and you can see that white stripe and sure shit i just yanked zeke and i was like no and i ran backwards and uh i got to the street for a second i'm like oh i, I didn't get sprayed and all of a sudden i think it was such a sensory overload because it was in my mouth and everywhere else <laughs> that uh it took a second and then it just hit me like you know a mac truck and the biggest mistake and i'll tell everyone is do not put your dog back in the car after you get sprayed if you need to call a tow truck to transport you and your partner back to the police department, call flatbed tow truck. Do not put your car, your dog back in your car. That was the biggest mistake. Because we ended up going to the animal hospital to get his eyes washed out. And uh, I walk in, and I get to the door, and they said, you're not even allowed in here. And I ended up having to do it in the parking lot. They brought a little cart out and uh, with some eyewash, and I ended up washing Zeke's eyes out. And uh, But it was funny. We actually ended up getting a guy. The guy, I started a track where the guy came back out to the sidewalk and started acting like he was walking down the street. As I came back out the sidewalk with Zeke, because I just got sprayed, and he was acting all nonchalant walking, and here it was the guy. So, ended up being successful. I actually got an apprehension, or not apprehension, made an arrest of the guy who uh, broke in his house. Which was kind of crazy. So, I wasn't <laughs> expecting that. It could be, you know, a loss because I got sprayed, but we ended up depressing the guy. So, pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. I, 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 yeah, that's, that's good. Uh, anything else? Any other yeah, good ones? But there was a, there was a guy playing a device at Altman and I ended up finding a guy. He had stolen a, a police, uh, he ended up stealing one of the security guards radios and he was taunting the guys that he, he placed the bomb and all this stuff and he was driving around and, uh, ended up apprehending that guy, you know, and ended up being this whole big ordeal with a device and, making the threats, you know, on the, on the stolen security guards radio. And it was just a whole big mess, but we ended up getting apprehension out of that. And that was one of the probably the first apprehensions Zeke had because it turned into like a bomb call and it ended up being apprehension. So it was, it was quite a day. So we've had a, we had a couple good device finds as far as actual explosives. I felt out the, uh, other agencies and stuff as far as and the actual explosives and explosive devices just didn't go off. So, We've uh, had some pretty good uh, situations as far as the explosive side of it, too. Finding murder weapons and stuff on uh, on guys and even guns on parolees at parolee side. So I've had a couple uh, really good finds, or probably the explosive world, because a lot of guys, just, they go and do all these bomb threats at high schools and stuff, and you never find anything. It's most, uh, mostly a good feel feeling where everybody feels good, and everybody goes back to school, and it doesn't blow up, and everybody continues their day, but... We've actually had some explosive finds and devices and stuff, old military stuff that people find in houses, and uh, we've had a pretty good career as far as that. So I actually just found a uh, gun use in a uh, shooting last week with uh, Zane. So it was it was a really, really good find with, for him in a detached garage. Uh, the suspect pitched the gun 
in a garage and I went in and took Zane and he ended up finding where it was at. So it was kind of nice. Awesome. So, some things probably I don't think are probably a big deal that I think maybe other people or other partners probably like, wow, I've never done that before. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I've had like multiple, multiple apprehensions, um, like three tracks with three bites in like a day. Um, one, one building search ended up three bites. Um, just because of three people. Well, one was the complainant because he was exactly like a fool, but the other two people <laughs> were. Uh, one was the height lookout, and the other guy was inside of the drive-through. So, yeah, that's yeah, something. Multiple, yeah, that's a- like the one day I had. I remember it was one day I had nine bites, nine bites in twelve days. So it's that was like a, a streak of mine was weak. <laughs> it was nine bites in twelve days, and I remember going to a seminar. And the only reason I remember that because I went to a seminar in Youngstown, and. I, you know, he was pretty, pretty, uh, when it, you know, out that well. And I was like, well, this guy's been jacked up. He's had nine bites in 12 days. And they all look at me like I'm speaking a foreign language. And I'm like, no, seriously. And I don't realize that some of these guys get, you know, nine bites in their, you know, career. And I'm like, yeah, we got nine bites in 12 days. And they're just like, holy shit. Like, what's going <laughs> on? Can't. And that's usually what I get. It's like, man, can't bad. And I just laugh. I just kind of laugh it off. And the amazing thing is, is with our training and stuff is we have zero complaints. And a lot of time, guys, thank you. You know, your dog bites them, and then you're at the hospital sitting with them BS, and like, man, that was a good dog. You got a really good dog. You know, uh, they might. Uh, like, man, I sent they, the video to Eric, one of my local handlers. You know, he had a guy that broke in a couple weeks ago. Exactly, like I think it was the second. Um, broke into a small one-bedroom apartment. Guys in there. He makes the announcement. Of course, he doesn't hear it, but the whole neighborhood does. Sends the dog in. The dog bites him. Take the dog out, you know, detain him, whatever else. And the body cam video is hilarious because you hear this guy say, oh, man, what was that dog's name? And, you know, the handler's like, oh, his name's And he was like, oh, you're a bad motherfucker. And like, so he's, they say the same thing. I mean, we've had several of those. And, yeah, I mean, you know, they stop suicides in progress. Or, I mean, they stop suicide by cop. They stop any number of things where yeah i mean the, you know several of our local guys have said the same thing like they'll get bit and they'll be like you know what thanks for not shooting me or thanks for not tasing me or yeah. something so yeah <laughs> i was in a gas station i was in a gas station and say, hey he's like you remember me i'm like no and he lifts up his leg and it's a scar from years ago he's like you had zeke and i'm like yeah and he's like you don't remember me and i'm like no because <laughs> there were so many and i'm like no and he it was like it, it was like it turned his whole life around it was one of those positive things, like a good dude. He's like, oh, man, he goes, I was dumb. You know, I shouldn't have ran, you know, but some of the guys you have a positive, you know, right. contact with, later they're thanking you for, you know, sending your dog on them. And it's just like, well, <laughs> and they know that they're in the wrong, but they're like, okay. And they usually are kind of big supporters or dog lovers, and it's just, they just happen to be at the wrong spot at the wrong time and didn't listen. Yeah. So. So uh, where is uh, PK9 headed? PK9 headed. Uh, I ask Eric, you know, and so, but being the president by de facto, de facto president, I guess I kind of want to hear uh, what your plans are for 2018 and then moving forward with Police Canine Association uh, and ultimately where you guys think it should be or where you want it to be. Well, we'd like to continue to help support guys more here locally and then also open the gap with these outside, you know, associations. I contacted, you know, association on the West Coast, and, you know, I'm trying to get to that point that, you know, 
maybe assist some of these other agencies and raising money, you know, just because of our social media. It's like we, we have, you know, a lot of the stuff that we're fortunate to have that a lot of departments don't have. And, you know, we would like to get them to that point too and, you know, help a lot of people out if possible. So these all these associations, instead of reinventing the wheel, you know, just look at some, maybe some of the stuff we did. And if we can do it together, it would help us all out. Um, our website recently got updated. Um, it's still like in phase probably two. Um, the website's new. Um, some of the pictures we got to update, they're just on there just because of the website developer just put those on there. But we're going to have a shopping cart rather than to buy it now so you can buy multiple purchases at once. Um, we got commercial shipping coming. So you have a cheaper shipping rate, you know, to buy stuff. And I'm not sending stuff priority mail anymore. That's expensive. So it would save money on both sides. And uh, really, you know, hopefully we can start hosting some more seminars and stuff later this year if we can get together and find out, you know, some seminars to have, you know, and maybe offset the cost and people to attend those, you know, that, you know, these smaller departments that want to training because, you know, you hear some of these war stories from some of the guys that train with us that are smaller departments that, you know, man may have shot somebody or, you know, did something that a lot of guys come here and we don't really – we don't discriminate as far as, well, you come from that small town. We'll tell them a lot of the training we do and some of our experiences, but, man, there's shit that's happened in these small towns um, that uh, is just bad. And I think it really opens some of these guys' eyes up that train together with other canine handlers and what they expect being a canine handler. Because just because we're in a small town doesn't mean it's not going to happen. So, oh, yeah. But, uh, but, the, but the Police Canine Association, I just hope to uh, just keep moving forward. Um um, trying to hopefully expand our shopping cart and get some more stuff on the shopping cart and then get a hold of some of these uh, associations that are willing. I've already reached out to a couple, and uh, they're totally on board 100% about maybe not starting really some chapters, but just basically start helping support them. Um, but we're going to meet with an attorney here. I'm meeting with an attorney tomorrow. I'll talk to him about changing our nonprofit um, to more of if we want to donate or help raise money for some of these other nonprofits. Right. So excellent. Uh and the the award ceremonies in June this year still? Yeah. We're okay. having June. Yeah, you know, like I said it's gonna be June night. Okay. So we'll be putting posting stuff up on our social media, Instagram, Facebook when that date comes near and uh once we have more of an idea of what we're doing. Because right now we just gotta think in the air. Nothing's really which way we're going to have, but it's going to be similar to what we've had the last two years. Uh-oh. Yeah, cool. Um, so that kind of makes a good segue here. Um, we just passed the two-year anniversary last week, uh, or was it this week, of Jethro? Last week of Jethro. Yeah, it was the, uh, he passed on the 10th. On the 10th. Uh, 10th. Um, and... You know, you guys have a, and it's on the webpage, um, which we'll put all the links to social media um, and the show notes, but it's uh, pk9a.com. But there is some fantastic, you guys put the fantastic uh, statue up uh, in the memorial up in the, um, up in the garden out there at the clubhouse, which was basically a two-year project. Yeah, uh, Chris had started pretty soon after got it kind of rolling after Jethro's funeral and to get the just to get the uh, statue made and we unveiled it that year um 
in June at, at our big fundraiser that we had that year. And we didn't have a base for it made or anything that like that yet. And so that was the rest of the project was getting the base made and then getting it put in out here at the field. Yeah. Um, I contacted, I contacted her immediately when Jethro was killed and, uh, got the measurements of Jethro, um, what she needed to do more of a lifelike thing. And that was the measurements that they got us when, uh, after he passed. So that was some of the measurements that Lena Torch went off of. Um, cause I had talked to her like prior to Jethro getting killed about having a statue out at our cemetery, but I, we didn't have a dog picked and who do you depict as the dog to represent all 60 right. dogs and the over 60 dogs we have at the cemetery. And so I had a brief conversation that and about fundraising that how we're going to pay for it. Well, then after that happened, I was like, all right, we got the dog and now we just got to get the money. And I knew that we would be able to do that. So that was at least my concern. So I, uh, start forward and you know seeing the work the work that lena torch then down and uh brag at the the sf memorial down there and just seeing her work was just amazing and i'm like all right because you know it's like an artist you know trying to do a self-portrait or get a portrait done on your as a tattoo you're like oh geez this is going to turn out right well she nailed it so <laughs> right yeah it was really good and you know it's really really uh good thing that we had done and i'm really happy that it turned out the way it did and especially with our our logo or our brand on the side of it and stuff it, i mean it just turned out really good oh yeah so, i mean i i've you know i've seen that thing and it is fantastic uh it looks great and it is a big it's a full-size replica of the dog. I mean, I saw some of the pictures at first, and I thought, is it a full-size one? You know, and Alicia yeah. said, oh, yeah, yeah, no, it's full-size, and it looks, it does look great. I mean, it does, it, it's a very cool, um, it's a very good representation of the dog, and it's a very nice um, kind of remembrance, I think. So, you know, I mean, Eric, you trained Jethro, correct? Yep, that's correct. Yeah, so, I mean, you, you know, because you you're on like what like uh, he was number sixty if I remember right. Yep. Yeah. He, uh, he was K nine sixty. So of all the canines in this city, that he was bad sixty, starting at number one. Right. And uh, we are up to sixty three right now. And uh, but he was badge number sixty. He was. I started training in when I took over as the head trainer. Um, would have been bad in 51. So I did one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 14 dogs for this department. And then, you know, three, four times that amount for other departments. Right. So, I mean, he wasn't, and we're going to talk to Ryan here in a second. Um, he wasn't your, like, quote unquote, your dog. I mean, you know, all the ones that, that Scott and I do, and we kind of have like a special, kind of place for each one of those dogs we keep up with him and of course you know he's on your department so you're going to see him all the time uh, but so when two years ago uh what did that i mean what ended up happening aside from um jethro ultimately being killed but how did that sort of affect everything around you guys with pk9a with van s with the department as a whole the unit um as the trainer, well, we went, you're, you're friends with the handler, obviously. So, yeah, Ryan Ryan came on the department, you know, a couple months after I did. So him and I worked together in SWAT and canine and stuff like that for years. And then he came on in canine 
Um, I was just a handler. I wasn't a trainer or anything like that. And then he, he, so we've been around each other a long time. So when they, um, I live about 30 minutes away from the city. They came in the middle of the night and woke me up because my phone was in another room and I, charging and I didn't hear it. So they came down and banged on the door and woke me up and took me up to the emergency vet room. And that's where everybody was already at uh, with Jethro. And immediately within probably, you know, we put a couple things on our Facebook page, you know, asking for prayers for the dog. Well, pretty quickly within a few hours there, we had uh, people starting to filter in a little bit to uh, offer to help pay for vet bills, bring in coffee and donuts. And we didn't, you know, we're in kind of a bubble there. We're not really paying attention as to the fact that I didn't even look at the, at the response on the Facebook page. It started blowing up pretty quickly. Next thing you know, I look outside and there's a, uh, a news van out there and I go out and talk to the reporter and she's like, yeah, it's on Facebook. I'm like, Oh no. So sure <laughs> enough, three of those, three of them come um, and then people are driving by. It's a pretty busy uh, retail area where the emergency vet is and they can see all these cruisers and the place is packed. You know, the, the parking lot is filled with cruisers and, and people walking around. Well, people start to figure out what is going on. Well, the news picks up the story pretty quick and it just starts, you know, blowing up right away. I think we were still at the vet's office and, uh, Larry, the cable guy, picked up the story, and somebody from NASCAR, I can't remember, one of the NASCAR drivers picked it up and put it on their Twitter. Ritland. Uh, and Ritland picked it up. When Mike Ritland picked it up, that that started really exploding it. And, um, you know, we were keeping people abreast with, uh, vid- you know, pictures and things because it looked like it was going to turn around, maybe, possibly. Uh, we didn't really have expectations that there was going to, be great where he might come back to work, but you never know. We're talking a day and a half. We're just all hopeful that he would make it. People were coming in, drop, trying to drop off money, um, bringing us, I mean, tons of food and drinks. And cause a lot of our guys, we were there for, you know, the whole time sleeping there and hanging out, going home for shifts and coming back. And then, um, so in the end, uh, after all was done and he passed and, and everything like that, For example, to show you how the effect of it was, we had, before that on Facebook, we probably had 3,500 followers and maybe about the same amount on Instagram, maybe a little bit more on Instagram. But afterwards, we ended up with like a 58,000 on both, Um, you know, 55,000 on Facebook and 58,000 or whatever more on on Instagram. And that's been ongoing, of course, but uh, that that was all in like two or three days. I mean, it, it exploded. And GoFundMe pages started coming up, uh, a legit one, and then one that wasn't so legit that got shut down. And there was, you know, a lot of things going on. In the meantime, I'm trying to train a dog for our department, get him pre-trained him for a class, and another dog for another department, pre-trained for a class. And we're running down to headquarters. We were getting three bins of mail from the post office twice a day. And our uh, PK9A PO box was stuffed three or four times a day of cards and artwork and uh, money and donations and just a lot of really interesting stuff. We got um, paintings that came to us from Europe and like amazing artistry that, that people sent us that still to this day still comes in. We still get things. We have some of it here at the field that we get to look at on a daily basis. Yeah. I've seen some of it in the clubhouse. Yeah. 
yeah, watercolor paintings and pens. There, there's some that these people are not professional artists, and I could not believe how well they could do. I always say I couldn't draw flies if I was a garbage can, but these people are amazing artists. And um, so most of it, some of it's at the police department, some of it's here at the Canine Center, and most of it's at Ryan's house. Um, he has, you know, daily reminders of it. It's, I think his daughter created kind of a shrine there for the dog. But um, the outpouring, it was unbelievable because you figure this, right when all that was going on, or right when that happened, all this anti-police stuff was going on, the Dallas Five right, right. and all the riots and everything going on in the Midwest and around St. Louis and all this stuff going on. And, and guys in this job were getting pretty disheartened. And then, you know, that incident really showed us and proved to us that we were too focused on the wrong thing being the negative part at work where there was way, 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 way more people supporting than the people that weren't. And um, we still get, you know, I get phone calls here the other day on the anniversary. I get phone calls on my voicemail here at my office. You know, people just call and I think about it all the time. People have named their dog Jethro and there's just, it's, it's changed our lives forever. Well, yeah, I told I was just telling Chris when Alicia and I came up there to pick Taz up, we stopped in that bar, and I told him that we were just sitting there doing some paperwork, answering some emails, and I, you know, we were in downtown Canton, and I told him, you know, we're here to pick up a police dog, and you know, they started naming off dogs. They knew you, they knew Chris, they knew Ryan. I mean, you guys. I mean, that that brought that event brought you guys to the forefront and they've already been you know i mean you know they're very pro canine up there as it is but you're right i mean when that was going on uh, when that happened you know it was it was a bad time um around the country i mean even down here we saw it i mean you know i I catch shit i'm not even a cop but i was catching shit for training police dogs and you know people were just like you know you're this or you're that and it's you know but you're right. I mean, it did. I mean, the amount of, and that was kind of something I wanted you to touch on. Like, I know that there was a huge amount of outpouring for that. Um, you know, we had one last year here in Oklahoma City. Canine Kai um, was stabbed um, during an apprehension and died, and it was a very similar reaction. Um, you know, it was it was a huge outpouring of just support and an overwhelming. Um, it was it was crazy to see, to be honest, um, and I'm sure on your end too. Like you said, I mean, you guys' inboxes were stuffed, your mailboxes were stuffed full. You still get artwork all over the place, and I mean, so yeah. I want to take a second to talk about equipment selection for patrol work. One of the most important aspects of teaching and maintaining patrol functions is your equipment. Proper equipment selection and fit makes all the difference in the world when it comes to creating and maintaining patrol and sport dogs. This episode is possible in part with support from Arno at ALM Suits. Because of the importance of this equipment, I use ALM Suits exclusively. I've owned one for about five years and use it almost daily at the kennel and have caught thousands of dogs and tens of thousands of bites. Arno was able to make a great fitting suit for my lanky ass and I couldn't be happier with it. Arno can take your measurements and make you a suit that would make Jacob Davis happy. (laughs) I was going to Google that to get the joke. Arno uses top quality materials and hand makes each and everything he does in his shop in Vegas. Between the top-notch materials and the handmade aspect, you're getting some of the best bite equipment in the world from ALM. The suits come in a full range of weights, from training weight to comp weight, which is what I use because I'm not a pussy and you shouldn't be either. He offers some Kevlar inserts to make the thinner suits a little safer and more comfortable, plus they keep your tattoo artist happy. He makes a full range of toys and reward tugs also. 
Be sure to hit him up at aonk9equipment.com. That's the letter K, the number nine, or Arno, A-R-N-O, at aomsuits.com. Be sure to use the discount code WDRADIO for 10% off your first order. Tell him you heard it here. Now go get bit. Tripwire Operations Group. We're first responders dedicated to first responders. We believe the most highly trained create a safer America. We prepare military and first responders to protect our country by providing products, training, services, and relationships that together no one else provides. Tripwire provides virtually every type of explosive product currently manufactured. We also produce our very own binary explosive, TexPak. Tripwire provides military and law enforcement training, consulting, canine advanced training, and firearm sales and training. Folks, Ryan and the boys over at Tripwire are true badasses in the industry. Go check them out at www.tripwireops.org. That's tripwireops.org. Yeah, the canine Kai incident was uh, real prominent. That that got that garnered a lot of attention. It, it, uh, and the thing is, it it really brought to the forefront you know, what we're asking these dogs to do for us. The one good thing about it is, is it brought attention to the training that we're doing here. We're, we're, you know, we're posting stuff on Instagram, on my business Instagram and on the, uh, the canine association Facebook page. And we show kind of the stuff that we're doing for training. And some of it's fun that we show and we like to, you know, display what badass our dogs are. But for me, a lot of what we do is a to keep the guys and the dogs alive as best as possible here, but maybe and I've it's, I've been contacted by a lot of departments and a lot of handlers. They're like, "Hey man, that scenario thing you were doing the other day, we love that. We're gonna we're starting to do that. Listen, if that helps those guys go home at night, it, just, it was all worth it." No, uh, and I completely agree. I mean, you know, we uh, when when we run it because you and I are on the same page, and I know this. When we run our handler schools here, you know, I'm constantly telling my handlers, I'm like, yeah, you got to go through certification, but if you're really worried about certifying, you probably shouldn't be holding a leash, and. You know, what we're going to be doing during handler school has very, and during your subsequent training time, if you stay close enough where you're going to train with us every Tuesday night, um, you know, very little of that is going to be like certification based. And there is a lot of departments and a lot of training groups around the country, I think, that train 364 days a year for one day a year. And they routinely, they, they routinely do, you know, ounce hides, which, super easy no blanks you know they're doing just basics basic basic bite work you know this and that they're not exposing dogs to any environmental issues they're not exposing dogs to vehicle extractions you know every tuesday night when our group comes down and i know you guys do this too scott and i are always kind of thinking of ways to you know expose these guys to things that they haven't seen whether it be dead checks whether it be vehicle extractions whether it be multiple bites i mean chris just brought up a bite where he had three bites in one vehicle or i mean i'm sorry in one building search and you know bradshaw from tar heel canine that's one of his big things right now is talking about you know shitheads commit crimes together so the one and done building search is kind of the old way of doing it. And the dog should be able to go immediately back in to hunt and start hunting and start looking. And nobody ever trains that. And you're a hundred percent right. Posting the content and saying, look, if us inspiring you to think outside the box is, is been, I mean, if that's, if, if doing this causes that, then shit, I'm on board. Well, a hundred percent, you know? So, uh, it was kind of the same thing. The thing we're doing down in Florida, we're doing a high risk deployment seminar in, in Florida in March. Ted is an idiot. It's actually February 16th through the 18th. Wow! 
and I've had several guys and they've contacted me and they, you know, and one of them said, you know, I'm not too proud to admit that I'm at a loss for inspiration. I don't know what I need to be doing. And shit, if that's the only thing he learns is how <laughs> is what, what he could be doing differently than I've done my job. That's for sure. Yeah. The one thing that we're lucky about here is <clears throat> I'm the only, as far as I know, I'm the only full-time trainer in Ohio who's, assignment at their police department is dogs. And so I get exposed to a lot of stuff. So when guys come here and train, they have a trainer that they can talk to and deal with. And we have, you know, all the guys that we can have you talk to, but a lot of training groups are just a group of handlers and they don't know how to solve problems. Exactly. That's one of the biggest, biggest issues with, uh, with dog training today and in training groups is, they don't know how to fix issues. My dog did this on a track or my dog did this on detection or he did this in a building. I have seen or heard almost all of it. So that is an advantage that we have over a lot of other places. And uh, But you're right. I, I talk to a lot of guys that are in a training group, and every week or two weeks or whenever it is they go, all they do is uh, recall, send them back for a bite, do an out, maybe a pat down. Then they go over and they do maybe a pretty basic area search and a track that's about 300 feet long in a, in a U and, and ba real basic detection work every single time. It's, they're just doing the testing over and over. They don't care and their agencies don't care. And that's, that's bad. That's really, that's how guys get hurt and killed. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. You know, I, I've got, you know, my local handlers who I'm sure are going to hear this are, um, you know, they, we make them do things during handler school and during just weekly training that mimics either stuff I've seen, stuff I've heard about, or stuff that I do know that happens, and we cycle it through. And, you know, they're not very rarely doing, you know, they're very rarely doing verbal outs. You know, when they do, we're doing it under specific conditions. They're doing vehicle extractions with more than one people, one, with more than one person. They're doing dead checks. They're doing uh, one of the conversion drills, which I know you guys probably did at Naval Special Warfare, where you have to do an apprehension and then immediately switch to detection mode. Um and, you know, we do it yep. to simulate where they go into a, to a burglary, they find somebody and bite them, they come outside and do a building search for something that's been, or an area search for something that's been thrown um, to find for an article recovery. Sometimes we'll have the decoy standing there as if they've been detained. But, you know, when we run these with guys that are not in my training group, they're like, fuck, that's hard. You know, when am I ever going to have to do that? And you kind of start explaining things. They're like, oh, well, <laughs> maybe yeah. I should, maybe it's I should be doing that. <laughs> Yeah, it always happens on your next shift. Always, but yeah, we do. We I love to do all that stuff. Um, I like to go to a building and kind of without a plan, and you give me about fifteen minutes of walking around and looking, and I'll come up with some pretty cool stuff. Um, that's why if I go out of town to train, they're like, "Hey, you wanna you wanna talk about what we have? You wanna go take a look at the place?" I'm like, "Now, nah, when we get there, trust me, I'll come up with something for you guys to have a great time with, and your dogs to be you know get tested." So. Uh, it's real good. Chris had to leave. He had to go uh, pick up his kids. But that okay. brings us to our next guest. Yep. Ryan, uh, how are you? Yep. Good. How are you doing? Hey, Ryan, how are you? Good. How are you, Seth? Doing well. Thanks for coming on. Uh, you want to go ahead and just give us a little bit of background, how you got into canine, how long you've been a police officer before we get into the rest of it? Yeah. Um, 
I'm Ryan Davis. I got hired in 96. Um, so I've been in, I'm in my 22nd year with the department. Um, I did 11 years on SWAT, which is a part-time assignment for us. I was on patrol throughout that. Um, did five years undercover work. Uh, two and a half of those were with a canine. So that was kind of interesting. Um, I've done 10 years now with the uh, canine unit. And uh, other than those two and a half years that I was in the undercover assignment, it's all been on midnights on the shift. So it uh, vampire hours. Yeah. That's when all the hood shit happens. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So you got what's your uh, current partner's name is off top. Suko. That's right. Uh, How's he working out? Good. It's, you know, every day, like every dog, I mean, they're like us. They, they learn and grow every day. And like everything you get out of them, what you put into them. Right. So if you're not willing to do the work to train them, you're not going to have a, you know, you can take the best dog on the market. And if you put him with a, a lazy handler, he's not going to succeed. Oh God. Is that true? Oh man. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I, I say that like I have personal experience. Um, so, <laughs> um, so we just passed the two-year anniversary of uh, Jethro's death. Um, and, you know, I mean, I talked to Eric and I talked to Chris a little bit about it. Um, and that was a kind of a big thing. Um, you know, it was a big thing for you, and I'm sure it was a big thing for your family. Um, a lot of people don't know because most departments in the country either buy green dogs or buy um, finished dogs, right? Um, that was a little bit yeah. different for you guys because Jethro wasn't that way, Correct. Correct. Um, I had my fir- first partner, Armin. Uh, we started in 2008. I uh, had him for seven and a half years on the street working with me. Uh, about five years into it, I started talking to some of the guys, and you know, I knew I wanted to do another dog and wanted to stay in canine. And different guys had different theories. You know, you're you're rolling the dice with a puppy. You never know what you're going to get. Uh, could be the best right. breeding in the world. And something may fail. But then on the other aspect of it, some guys said, you know, if you raise them and you run into a problem during training, you may know where it came from because you raised them. Um, I made the mistake of going to look at them as the puppies and took my daughter with me. Uh, we oh, went up to look at it, and it was honestly at that time, it was just kind of a, a forethought. They were about almost six weeks old, a couple of days shy, maybe six weeks old. And uh, they had two different litters. There was uh, 12 pups. And we looked at them, and she absolutely, you know, at 12 years old or whatever, fell in love. And ended up, took it home. We didn't take the dog home, but we went home and talked about it as a family. And, and, you know, my wife said, I understand you're rolling the dice, but even if we lose, we still gain a pet. You know, so... Um, we went ahead and, and bought him with the intentions of he's going to be a family member first. And then if things work out, he'll replace my working dog when the time comes. And if not, then, you know, we'll worry about getting another dog at that point. Right. Uh, just so Eric came back to us from his uh, Navy SEALs training and uh, took over as our trainer and it was about time for my partner to retire. Um, and he was, you know, he had over a hundred street bites. Um, he was a very active dog and the toll 
started to wear on his body to where he was having trouble. I could see it when he was trying to get in and out of the car. Well, one of my last nights on the street, I went on a track with him and it was over, it was over a mile long and it was about 45 below with the wind chill and everything. And, uh, we were out tracking and after about the fourth fence that he had to jump, uh, I could see he, he was having trouble. He just couldn't get over the fences anymore. And I was having to pick him up and that's when it was like, okay, you know, it's time for him to retire. Uh, when you can't jump a three foot fence anymore and he would jump out of his six foot kennel, you know, like it wasn't even there when he was younger. Right. So Jethro was about the right age. I brought him in. We ran him through some basic, you know, screening tests and stuff and things had kind of worked out and we, you know, went ahead and rolled him right into a class and it uh, started him in training. Perfect. So, uh, how many years did Jethro? How long was he? How long was he your partner? Was he your partner? Uh, he was just shy of a year on the street the night he was shot. Okay. Yeah. So you guys went through training, got certified up. Uh, how many successful apprehensions and fines did Jethro have? I assume he probably had a ton of fines. <laughs> um, you know, it, it was kind of ironic because I had one legitimate street white with him and it was a bank robbery suspect. Um, and you know, Chris was talking about having those nine bites in 12 days. Um, that's the way it was with my first partner. It was just, but it was real streaky. I'd go a year where I'd have two or three bites and then I'd have nine in a month, you know, it, uh, and I think, I, I don't know if I hit a year there where it was just slow or, if it was just him, he was a very large dog, and he would speak on command. And yeah, when that I would helps. give the warnings, I would a lot of times get surrenders. He had a ton of surrenders where people were like, "Okay, I give up, I'm coming out," which is not something we see very often. We, you know, we joke around and we say we have a game of hide and seek where they hide, we seek, and they do not give up until the dog's teeth are on them. You know, they could see the dog coming at them, and they will not surrender. Man, it's so uh, funny. But, but we- him. Yeah, so surrender, yeah, we we t- uh, we went to the uh, a seminar up in upstate New York last year, and we're talking to a bunch of dudes from the East Coast, and they all had. I mean, I tell you what, there was 50 teams there, and every single one of those teams was on point from I don't know, like six different states and 30 something different agencies, and I mean, everybody was fantastic. And you know, it's funny, a lot of those guys have the exact same or the exact opposite, uh, you know, outcome that you do. I mean. You know, they get people that give up all the time and they like will have a track and they'll give one announcement and people are like, oh, God, don't let me don't send the dog. Don't send the dog. And a lot of times they don't even bark. I mean, so. Yeah. I mean, I I had a couple where, you know, with him, my daughter actually did a lot of the training with him as a puppy. And, you know, my my kids have hung around with me as I've grown through canine and and she trained him to wear a muzzle i couldn't get a muzzle on that dog it was like you know trying to muzzle a lion it uh and he was nine months old or so and and i decided it was time to start muzzle training him just to get him used to it and it was like wrestling a bear trying to you know at nine months old he was 102 pounds it uh and it was like wrestling a bear trying to get a muzzle on him and i didn't want it to be a fight thing so I just I kind of kept trying to ease my way into it. And, you know, I looked over and she was sitting on the floor with him one night and she just put some peanut butter in the end of the muzzle and just 
she spent like an hour down there on the floor with him. And after that hour was over, he was walking around with the muzzle on, could have cared less. And, you know, so she was very, very big into it with him. Spent a lot of time helping me, like lay tracks for me or, you know, whatever. It, uh, and, you know, she taught him to speak on command just for fun. She taught him to shake, you know, just because he was a pet first. He was home in the house all the time with her. Right. It, uh, fun for her. Yeah, so uh, what was the call that night that you guys went on? Um, it was actually an alarm call at a grocery store where uh, they had a roof door that, believe it or not at the time, had been broken into in the past. And they had the hinge pins on the outside. So all you had to do was take the hinge pins off and you could get into the door. And right. I don't know if I knew that or if he just got lucky. Um, but the alarm, there was a silent alarm on that door. So when he took the, the pins off the door and he broke the seal on the door, the alarm went off and it came in as a roof alarm. And I had been there, you know, numerous times on alarms, both with Jethro and my previous partner, Armin. And I've been back there several times with Tuco. Um, but when he set off that silent alarm, I guess, you know, being a silent alarm, he didn't know it. He was in there and I get there and, and it had probably been because I was on another alarm when it, that one came in and it would have probably been between 10 and 15 minutes since the alarm went off before I got there. And there was another unit on scene and he was actually walking the perimeter of a, it was a large grocery store. He was walking the perimeter, just kind of checking some of the doors and whatnot. And, you know, when I explained to him that you can get up onto the roof of this place and, and different things that I had had through experience, we just kind of, I told him, I said, you hold the southwest corner, I'll go up in the northeast corner, we'll set up the perimeter until the key holder gets here and we'll see what happens. Well, when the key holder showed up, we went in and he took me up to the uh, rooftop. And when we opened the door that we went out of and looked across, I saw the, the other door was hanging off the, it would have been completely removed. You know, and I'm like, okay, well, we got a, a good one. And then I went in and I found a, a bag that was wet. And it had tools in it, you know, criminal tools, pry bars and hammers. And, you know, and I said, there's a good chance this guy might be in here because they don't normally leave this stuff behind. So other cars started showing up. We kind of set up a perimeter around it. And being a grocery store, I initially left my partner in a car because I'm thinking, you know, we'll be searching a grocery store and he'll be over chewing on steaks. It, uh, so I'd left him in the car and I was just kind of walking through it because I'd been there so many times where they were just false alarms. So at that point, I said, you know, there's a possibility this may be a good one. We're going to need to go ahead and search it. We started searching it and I got word that the deli alarm had gone off shortly after the roof alarm. Well, when we walked down the steps from the roof access that we went in, I stepped into the deli. And that's when I, it, it started to dawn on me. I'm like, wait a minute, this guy came in here. You know, he came down these steps because he set this alarm off down here. Right. So I told the guy that was with me, I was going out to get Jethro. And I just, I was, where we came in at, I was probably 25, 30 yards from the front door. So he walked out with me and um, I got Jethro and I went back in with him to search the building. And, you know, it, we started searching the building and he's, 
like a typical dog. He's walking along, and all of a sudden I see him. He's looking at the stakes. You know, no, come, let's go find him. <laughs> we keep searching, keep searching, and, and we were a good 25 to 40 minutes into this thing at this point. You know, we'd been walking around in the store for probably 20 minutes, and it. it I'm getting up and down, up and down, you know, as far as, okay, possible indication. Well, you know, this guy probably snuck out of here a long time ago because they don't hang around that long. And I've been walking all through this grocery store in these back rooms, and it was kind of a maze. It was an older building. They had a basement. They had a second floor. They had a warehouse, you know, so it was it was kind of odd because – be in there that long i think i got complacent thinking well this guy's he's long gone by now there's no way he's still in here and we haven't right. come across him and i got back to the, the warehouse entry and when i got up to the door to the warehouse entry i happened to notice jethro head snapped on a couple bottles of liquor that were sitting on the there was a, a cabinet right there that had you know wine or whatever wine bottles sitting there and i saw him head snap and take a big whiff of one and I thought, you know, that was kind of odd. Like, you know, he perked up, and now I'm thinking as I opened the door, I saw his ears go forward, and the radar came on, and I'm like, wait a minute, he's in odor. You know, so as we started into this warehouse, it was literally like a scene out of a movie where you had the, the single light bulb swinging in the corner. You know, so it was a very dim, right. dark warehouse. Well, that's perfect for, you know, for him. I mean, he's using his nose. We're trying to use our eyes. So he takes off, and I start trying to follow him, and he goes around this corner from me, and, and I kind of knew he was in odor. And when he went around the corner, the first thought in my mind was, bad guys always run from him. You know, so there was only – it was like a, a racetrack almost. There was a wall going down the center. So I thought, well, he went down the right side. I'm going to go down the left side and cut this guy off from running out of here on us. And as I started down the left side is when shots rang out which obviously, you know, caught me completely off guard because I'm thinking right, who, takes a gun a, to a grocery exactly. store. who takes a gun to rob a bur- uh, to, to break into a grocery store. Yeah. So, so I run around a corner and at this point, now the guy's running for one of the fire exit doors, you know, and, and all I could think of was, is Jethro tied up with another guy? You know, I'm trying to run all the scenarios. Did he get hit? Where's he at? And as I get over to the door, I see, Jethro's over in the corner with, he's just laying on the ground and the guy was now out of the door and starting across the parking lot. And as I I ran out to where he was in the parking lot and I could see him as he's running away from me, he had the gun still in his hand and he starts to raise the gun. He fired shots. I didn't realize they weren't at me. They were at the cruiser that was coming up behind him on the outside. Um, But, you know, there was a gunfire exchange I knew I had a, a large perimeter group outside. There was a couple guys from an extra job that came in. They weren't even working on city time, but they heard everything going on, so they came over to just kind of help out. And it, uh, well, at that point, I knew there was enough guys outside. He needed my help worse, so I just ran back into the corner of the warehouse where I'd seen him, and you know, I started tending to him, and I just assumed that you know he'd be in custody and everything be over with, whatever, and. So I started tending to Jethro, and we ended up getting an ambulance, city ambulance that came in. And uh, me and one of our other handlers, actually, we just picked him up, carried him out, and threw him in the ambulance with the medics. And they started working on him. And the other former handler that was with me works for the county. Um, 
he led us, you know, he just took the lead with his cruiser and he led us up to, uh, the emergency hospital. We were in there probably a good 20 minutes or so. And I heard that they were still looking for this guy and I'm thinking, how did they not catch him? Well, you know, during the exchange of gunfire, he ended up getting struck and, but as he was running around the corner, they lost sight of him. So they called in another K-19. They were preparing to, you know, do a track on him. And the guy finally surrendered. It, uh, he yelled out to him. He had been hit in the ankle, and he was bedded down, um, you know, a couple houses over from a grocery store. So, you know, and like Eric touched on, I, I sent out a group text that we usually keep going all the time within our group, you know, the handlers. And I just, we had been on it that morning, sending each other, you know, our group text. So I just got on there. I'm in the back of the ambulance trying to make sure that he's not um, trying to bite the medics or anything. And it, uh, I just sent on there, you know, sent a message to everybody that Jethro had been shot and we were en route to the hospital. And then I got to the hospital and, and like Eric said, it was just kind of a wave that kept growing and growing. I mean, at one point we had over 200 people at the hospital between our handlers, our, you know, their families, um, other cops from other agencies and stuff that, you know, cause we're, we're a town of 70,000, but there's a lot of smaller towns and, and other surrounding agencies around us. And everybody, I got a, a phenomenal working relationship with the guys on midnights and stuff in our area. I mean, they, they call me and I, I'll gladly go back them up and same thing with us. You know, they'll come if we get a big bar fight or something, we don't have enough guys they will run into town and help us. And well, it was dumbfounding to me because how many guys in the County I know that just started showing up at the hospital, you know, and then next thing you know, there's civilians showing up, news crews showing up, you know, and the whole time, Initially, you know, I mean, the the doctor told me she's like, it's he's got brain damage. He took around right square in the forehead that actually she said, you know, was similar to basically getting hit with a sledgehammer. It didn't penetrate his skull, but his eyes were bald. And, and you know, she said that's a sign of brain damage, a brain injury. And she said if we can get that under control, that's his biggest threat right now. And she said at eight eight to ten hours, eight to twelve hour time frame, somewhere around there. If, if we can get him through those first eight to 12 hours, there's a good chance that he'll pull through this. You know, well, it, he got, it was one thirty in the morning when it happened. Well, you know, that night, everything started to kind of, everything, it, all day, that day, it had been a huge crowd and people in and out and coming in to show their support. And, and that night, it kind of started to settle down. And, you know, my wife literally went out and sent everybody home, like, you know, trying to get me to just sit down. And uh, at that point, I had worked an extra job earlier that day. I'd been up for probably going on 48 hours. And uh, I'm like, I'm not leaving. I told her. I said, I'm not leaving. She's like, no, but you need to sit down and rest. You know, I was running on pure adrenaline and fear of losing him. And I I honestly had no thought of even being tired. So he, uh, you know, or she threw everybody out. And once everybody left, I agreed I'd sit down, you know, with the condition that if anything after I talk, I want to talk to the doctor. So I went back and, and the doctor said, Hey, everything's looking really good. His eyes had kind of gone back to normal. She's like, we got his breathing under control. He's not struggling to breathe anymore. You know, things are looking really good. We're, we're stable. We're, we're stabilizing, getting him stabilized. So I thought, okay, you know, with that, I'll go sit down. And, you know, obviously the body started to crash and I fell asleep and it, uh, 
looking back now, I regret it because, I mean, it, it was a few hours had gone by and I got woke up by a buddy of mine that, hey, you need to get up, you need to get up, you know, come in. And it uh, obviously I went in and Chris that you just talked to was there and they were changing shifts at the animal hospital. So they had two doctors and, and two staffs basically on scene. And one of the doctors was actually on the table doing CPR, chest compressions. And uh, Chris went in and just kind of told her, get out of the way. That's something that I can do. I'll do those so that you can do doctor stuff, you know? So he took over that. And, you know, I, I knew after a couple minutes of watching them, I kept, the doctors kept looking at me and, and I knew they weren't going to quit, but they weren't getting any results, you know? So I just, I kind of stepped out of the room just to, I guess, gather myself or put myself back together or whatever. It, uh, and then right. they, they, come out, Chris come out and he got me. He's like, dude, you need to make the call. They will not quit. You know? And I just, I kind of walked up and I looked and I could tell that it, there was, there was no fight left in him. So I said my goodbyes to him and you know, it, 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 it he had fought for 36 hours or something like that at that point. So it, it was uh, the beginning of a very rough, you know, day. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, it, that's a, a super intense story. And, you know, I mean, it, it's so many of those calls, just like a normal burglary call or whatever else. I mean, my, my local guys, I mean, they get them all the time. And, you know, that's what you assume that it was. And, you know, I mean, in the uh, kind of in the aftermath, you know, now you've got Tuco, um, you know, and like Eric. Uh, and Chris both kind of pointed out, like you said, the amount of support was overwhelming. And, uh, you know, I I talked to, uh, you know, I, I had, uh, a lot of local, but even some national news media that I did some national news interviews and, you know, the day after Jethro, uh, was killed, um, canine Krieger from Virginia was killed and I've been in touch with his handler. And then I met uh, people from uh, Canines for Cops, it, uh, you know, who supplied Tuco, it, uh, and Ted, the handler for Canine Black, you know, and a lot of these guys right. have gone through, been through it or whatever. It, uh, it and just the networking, I guess, that kind of helps you learn how to deal with it or get through it. It, uh, you know, and just. It's it's amazing to me though how far this reached. We've gotten, you know, for his two year anniversary the other day. Obviously, it was an emotional train wreck around my house, and and my wife went down and pulled. I've got Tupperware totes um, full of stuff that, you know, like Eric said, the amount of mail that came in was unbelievable. Um, artwork and everything, and we kept all the cards and everything and put them in Tupperware totes. And I mean, I've gotten, I would say probably 10,000 plus cards. There's no way I could, I could spend the rest of my career writing thank you letters and I'd never get to all of them. You know, so we, uh, we just kind of put everything in Tupperware totes and stuck them in the basement and, uh, just to get them out of the way. Well, the other day we went out and dug them out, you know, and started going through them and it's just kind of something to do to look back and, you know, reflect, I guess. It, uh, but there's not a day goes by you don't think about it. There's not a call that goes by that you don't think about it. It, uh, you know, and like anything, I guess you're. I was constantly comparing Jethro to Armin, my first dog, you know, and then now comparing Tuco to both of them on the street. So 
it's been a growing process, obviously. It, uh, Tuco's been, I guess, a, uh, something to keep me occupied, you know, to keep my sanity. Yeah. It, uh, and having Armin still, you know, he's still with me. I mean, he just turned 12. Um, having him in the house with me, you know, it being my first partner and having worked so long with him was, uh, a godsend there, you know, because it gave me somebody, I guess, to turn to it. Uh, and it just, I don't know. It's been a a very weird road. It's indescribable. (laughs) Excellent, man. That's, that's an, an, that's, I mean, I've read the story and I've heard the story and, you know, of course we know quite a bit about it, but I mean, I think that's the first time I've actually heard you tell the story like front, like top to bottom. And I mean, I appreciate that. That's a, that's, you know, and a lot of people, you know, reference him or reference Krieger or reference, you know, the other dogs at Canine Kai, the one here from Oklahoma city. So, um, you know, it's, it's good to hear, um, you know, the the full the full outcome and you know kind of where you are today and and to hear i mean you know that tuco's doing great and that you're doing great and that you know i mean you're still with the department and i mean i'm uh i'm i'm i thanks for sharing that for sure no not a problem you know every day is another day to, to grow and you know continue to work together as a team it uh and I, you know, I think that's hopefully the future for us as far as the PK9A is to continue to better our existing teams and, and, you know, put capable, competent teams together, you know, and continue to grow that. Yeah. So. For sure, for sure. Um, but yeah, so you guys are moving forward. PK9A sounds like Chris and Eric, and you guys have a lot going on. You're doing your thing June 9th, uh, the award ceremony, which should be uh, a blast. I know Alicia was there last year with you guys um, two years ago, yeah. and uh, I'm sure she was well behaved. <laughs> so um, <laughs> always. <laughs> always, yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I guess with that. Hand me back over to Eric, and we'll uh, get yep. this wrapped up. I appreciate it, man. We'll see you guys soon. All right, take care. Yep. That's a pretty that's a pretty incredible story. Um, yeah, I've, I've got you know obviously to talk to Ryan a lot and and get to hear him tell it. Um, but he he's got a good way of putting you there at at the time, and um, and I still think it harkens back to um, or harkens back to you know. If you're not training your dog to go into dark buildings and things like that with slick floors and all that other stuff, your dog's not going to do it. So if all you're doing is training for the certification in a well-lit day shift room, um, you're going to be the one get shot, not your dog. And it sucks when the dog, it happens. But Jethro went in that dark room where he can't see going after a guy. Uh, because that's what we trained him to do. Uh, I, I always say that we train the apprehension, or excuse me, the, you know, that that self-preservation that dogs, that humans have, and maybe some dogs have, we train that out of them. And so he goes in that room because we have trained him and he's doing it the way we asked him to. Yeah, and I, you know, I had that conversation today with somebody, with one of my handlers and a guy that's here for an explosives course. Um, you know, I was like, we don't, they don't understand how guns work. They don't understand. I mean, if a dog knew the danger they were in by going around and sticking their nose in bombs, they wouldn't fucking do it. And if if he knew that that guy was armed and how a gun worked, he probably wouldn't go and do it. And you're right. I mean, that's exactly what we train them to do. 
And, you know, like yeah. Chris said earlier, you know, what would have happened if they hadn't had a dog? Correct. That's a good point. We, you know, Jethro, most of the rounds that he was shot in the chest um, four times that went in and out. And then he was shot once in the face, which was pretty much the round that did him in. But you figure that guy's standing there waiting to ambush Ryan and the dog comes in and he gets shot under in his underside so he was jumping up or going up and going after the guy like we had taught him and uh, we've never really gotten a, a clear answer out of, the, out of the dude um about it but you know again like you said if, it, if if you could tell him hey listen you can go over there that's on you that guy has a gun and guns kill he wouldn't have done it but he did it because we trained him to do it that way exactly yeah and um I think it's I think it's kind of a fitting first episode uh, for this podcast because you know you and I are on the same page and we do a lot of things the same way and um, you know I think that is sort of a you know and I didn't want to say you know hindsight's always twenty twenty what would you have done differently and then you know because it's cliche and everybody says oh there's no such thing as a routine call there's no such thing as a routine call and when Ryan's telling the story he's setting it up that way you know they it's his grocery store I didn't even have the dog out you know all the normal shit that that everybody says and all of a sudden it goes from zero to shit show in no time and you know I. I I preach a lot and Scott and, you know, and I know you do to your handlers. So I've been around and seen it where, you know, it, it's not as simple as, you know, just going around or dancing around doing the, doing the basic shit, doing the certification stuff and saying, ah, we're good enough. And then all of a sudden when good enough doesn't work, <laughs> bad yeah. shit happens. So. Absolutely. If you're not, if you, uh, if you train for basic, that's what you're going to get. Yeah, and you know that's a that's a topic we're going to cover uh, in one of the other upcoming shows about the certification stuff and about how PK9A is trying to push forward a little bit. Um, and you and I are going to get into some of the not necessarily the specific certification standards for national or whoever organizations, but just kind of as an overall um, doing business type deal, uh, what they mean, what they should mean, and what they definitely sure as shit don't mean. Um, so with that, we're, uh, we can find PK9A on the internet uh, at P, the letter K, the number 9A.com. Uh, they're on Instagram, Police Canine Association. Eric, where are you on Instagram? I'm on Instagram, VanSK9. That's V-A-N-E-S-S-K-9. I also have a Facebook page, VanSK9 Academy. And I am at uh, Working Dog Dry Goods and Working Dog underscore radio or Working Dog underscore. What is it? I'll have to edit this out. Working, working underscore, underscore dog, dog underscore radio. radio. Yeah, fuck, Mark. <laughs> working underscore dog underscore radio, <laughs> and we have it on, and we have it on uh, working uh, on Facebook too at Working Dog Radio. Um, other than that, we've got some exciting episodes coming up. We're doing an episode with Mike Ritland, uh, talking about the SEAL days, and you and Mike can talk about doing some of the Naval Special Warfare dogs, and then. Uh, I think episode three, we're going to do Bradshaw, uh, talk about PSA, Protection Sports Association, and we're going to do some talking about Tar Heel Canine. Um, and Jerry is actually a good guy to talk to, too, about some of the certification stuff with uh, National Tactical Police Dogs. So uh, super stoked. It's going to be good. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. You know, I, I, I pride myself on being a pretty decent police dog trainer, but I'm, you know, even as one of the hosts of this show, I can't wait to learn a lot about a, 
all aspects of working dogs that I just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we're going to bring on, uh, we've got some tracking guys lined up. We've got some, some really good detection guys lined up and you and I both know that the bread and butter of any police dog trainer is detection. Yeah. We like talking about bite work and everything else, but if you can't train them to find drugs or bombs, you might as well not be doing anything. Um, and, the no sells uh, dog. Exactly. So uh, we've got some fantastic detection guys lined up uh, tracking. We're going to also have some of the no shit stories from uh, some of the Naval Special Warfare guys, the Marsoc boys, uh, some of the Ranger handlers. Uh, we're going to have the maritime, the Coast Guard maritime security response team guys. Uh, the kids from the Bortac have agreed to come on with their kit with the canine guys from Bortac, which should be. Fairly interesting. Those guys always have fucking crazy stories. So um, I think it, I think we've got a lot lined up, and I think people are going to be stoked. We're going to be at Bravo Three with Tripwire Operations uh, coming up in February. We're going to do some live shows from there with the guys from Highlands Canine. Uh, Ryan Tri- Ryan from Tripwire is going to be there talking about explosives, shit blowing up is always fun as well as talking about dogs. And then uh, some of the Marsoc boys will be there. So uh, we should uh, Eric and I will be in the same room. We'll be doing interviews with some of those cats. So. Uh, looking forward to it. What else you got, Eric? Yep. Uh, that's it. If you're if you're out at Bravo Three, come check us out, man. We're uh, we're gonna have a great time. I look yep. forward to this, and uh, hopefully, we're gonna put some pretty good content out here. Excellent. Right on. Working Dog Radio is edited and co-produced by Dustin Wright at Bracket Designs. Be sure to hit him up at bracketdesigns.com for any branding or content-related work you have. We were graciously granted permission to use this rad music by Brother Deeg. Go buy him a beer at brotherdeeg, spelled D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com, spelled D-E-G-E, or hit him up on iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby, or any other music streaming stores. Check the show notes for links to both of these creative geniuses.